0: Thank you. John Redmond, and I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas, and I want to thank you for joining us on Peace by Believing today. I hope that your new year is getting off to a good start, and today on the program, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, which is I was in the process of trying to give you some very practical things that you could do to begin the new year the right way. And at the beginning of last week's program, I said that I was going to give you seven things that you could do at the beginning of this year to put yourself in a position to have a great year. And as I was walking through that list of seven things, time ran out. It happens to me when I'm preaching in our church, and it happened to me last week on the broadcast. And so today I want to review the first three things that I had mentioned, but I want to spend our time today thinking about these other things that we can do to begin the new year the right way. Last week, the first thing I said we have to do is let the past be the past. We all have things in our past, and I was talking last week primarily about sins we've committed, that we have to just put under the blood of Jesus and let them stay there. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, and so when we carry guilt and shame and regret and old sins that God has forgiven and forgotten into the past, we don't honor God. In fact, we dishonor God by doing that, and we dishonor the blood of Jesus, and so Number one, we have to let the past be the past and live in the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. The second thing I mentioned last week, we have to learn to view problems as opportunities. We all have problems in our lives, but within those problems, there are opportunities to honor God in ways that we never could if we didn't have the problem. And then the third thing I mentioned on the last program is that we need to try to live a healthy, balanced life. This is a constant struggle for me, not only with diet and exercise and sleep, but with my daily and weekly schedule, trying not to overextend myself or overcommit myself, try not to get so many things going on, juggling so many plates that I just can't balance them all. And so... Uh, I encourage you as you as you begin this year. Look at your schedule. Look at your calendar. Look at how you're spending your life, and ask yourself: Is this balanced living? Is this healthy? Living. One thing's for sure, unless we control our schedules, somebody else will, or lots of somebody's will, or our work will, or other things will. And so we just have to, as best we can, take control of our own schedule and our own time. And so if you missed the program last week, you're caught up to speed, and now we're all ready for the next four things that we have to do to uh, have a good year. And the reason I'm sharing these things is because to me, the beginning of a new year is one of the most exciting times of the entire year. I've always loved the month of January. I know for many people, they hate January. The weather's not very good. A lot of people are depressed in January. Bills are coming in from Christmas that people can't pay for, and that doesn't do anything except add stress and uh, you know turmoil in people's lives. But for me, I've always looked at January a little differently. It's a month of new beginnings. It's not just New Year's Day. It's the whole month. The way we spend January, to a large extent, will determine what we experience in February, March, April, May, and June, and all the rest of the year. And so I'm encouraging you to, in your mind, kind of block the month of January aside as a time for you to really take a long hard look at your life and your schedule and how you're how you're living. And so the next thing that we can do, this is number 4 on our list of seven things to have a good new year. And it might have it might should have been even higher than this, but nonetheless, here's where I've put it at number 4 and here's what it says. Make a commitment to have a quiet time with God each day. Make a commitment to have a quiet time with God each day. What is a quiet time? It's a time each day when we meet with God, when we read from the Bible, when we pray, we talk to Him, we listen to Him, and we just have a quiet time with God. It's one of the most important things we can do. In fact, it is the most important thing that we can do each day. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is in the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 1 and verse 35. And in Mark 1:35, we get an insight into Jesus' quiet time. In other words, Jesus had a time when he would regularly meet with his Father and pray and seek His Father's will. And it says this in that verse. "Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And so Jesus had a quiet time, and he had one uh, regularly. And in this particular verse, we learn some very interesting insights about Jesus' quiet time. First of all, there has to be a specific time when we meet with God each day. Now, in this verse, it says, For Jesus it was in the morning, having risen a long while before Daylight. And so I know a lot of people who get up extra early in the morning and they spend some time with God. I know other people who are not morning people and they do that at different times during their day. I have one friend, a member of our church, and he does that each day on his lunch hour. He kind of gets away from his co workers and he eats his lunch and he reads his Bible and he prays during his lunchtime. And that's when he has his quiet time. Other people maybe do it in the afternoon. Some people do it late at night. I don't think the time is the most important thing. Probably we should all do something in the morning just so we'll start our day the right way, even if it's just five minutes to touch base with God and to commit the day to him and maybe read a few verses from the Bible or at least have a little prayer time. But whenever you choose to have your quiet time, you're going to have to identify a time. Look at your daily schedule And try to identify about 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, when you would be uninterrupted, unhurried. Somebody has said that hurry is the death of prayer. And I believe that's true. It's better to spend five minutes with God than it would be to spend an hour with God if during that hour all we were doing was looking at our watches and wondering how much longer this was going to take. But if we just have some time, well, we're not in a hurry. Our mind is not distracted. We have a set time each day. And then Jesus not only had a time, but he had a place. And the Bible says he went out to a solitary place, literally to a deserted place. So he had somewhere that he could go where he would not be disturbed not even by his disciples or by all the people who wanted his help but there was some time during his day when he got he, he he pulled away from all the people and he got alone with God we need to do the same thing so for you it may be your kitchen table it may be the sofa in your living room it may be the back porch who knows the place that it will be but there, I have it In my home, my, my study is at home, and so I, that's where I have my quiet times in the morning. I go to my study, and, and that's my place, and it is a very special place to me. We need a time, and we need a place, and then when we get there, we need a plan. I think there are a lot of people who, who want to have a time each day when they meet with God, and so they set aside a time, they designate a place, and then when they get there, they don't really know uh, what to do. They, they don't have a plan and so they open the Bible up and they read a few verses and well that didn't make much sense and then the next day they do it again and they just kind of the lucky dip theory they open their Bible and close their eyes and put their finger down and they just whatever their finger points to they read it and they say well I just don't understand the Bible. Well you wouldn't understand any book if you read it like that. The Bible is a big book made up of 66 smaller books And so when we read the Bible, we want to read through books, maybe Genesis. That's the first book in the Bible, or maybe the book of John in the New Testament. That book has 21 chapters, so if you read a chapter a day in three weeks, you could have read through the Gospel of John. But you've got to have some kind of plan. And let me just take this opportunity now to say, if you have never visited our website at peacebybelieving, now that's just one word, peacebybelieving.org, I wish you would visit it, and one of the things you'll find there is a tab that says spiritual growth. And if you'll click on that tab, you can find booklets that we have written on lots of different topics. And one of the booklets that we have on there for you to read is a Bible reading plan. It, it, it's, I'm not saying it's the best plan. It is just a plan that will help you to know what to read on each day of the year. And so you can just click on that and you can find it right there on your computer on your phone and that could be your Bible reading plan. But we need some kind of a plan so that we can read through the Bible in a systematic way. Now, I know a lot of people say that you should read through the Bible once a year and I think that's a great goal and I've done that many times in my life. But strictly speaking... I don't think it's as important that we read through the Bible once a year as it is that we read from the Bible every day. And so for some people, they think, man, if I'm going to read through the Bible every year, that's going to be three or four pages a day, and that's just more than I can comprehend or more than my schedule at this time will allow. Well, instead of just saying, well, since I can't do that, I'm not going to do anything, Why don't you just read a few verses? Just pick a few books in the Bible. Take the plan that we have on our website and do half of it. Just do something so that each and every day you are in God's Word and you're in prayer talking to God, listening to God, asking Him for direction and insight, and letting Him speak to your heart. So that's a very important thing, and I encourage you to do it. Make a commitment to have a quiet time with God each day. Now, the next thing, it's number five on our list of seven things that we need to do to have a good year, is that we need to make a commitment to go to church regularly this year. Make a church, a commitment to go to church regularly this year. The Bible is clear that we need to be in church each and every week. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, the scripture says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. In other words, when your local church meets, unless you're providentially hindered, you should be there. And when my local church meets, unless I'm providentially hindered, I should be there. I think there are a lot of people who go to church on Saturday night and maybe the one spouse says to the other spouse, hey, are we going to go to church in the morning? Maybe they wake up on Sunday and it's raining. Well, do you want to go today or not? That is no way to live the Christian life. Going to church is just something that God expects us to do unless we're sick or unless there's some other uh, providential reason we, we can't be there. So I would encourage you, if you don't have a church, begin to visit churches in your area and pray and ask God to lead you to a church that teaches the Bible, that believes that salvation comes only through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and It's a church where you feel the love of the people. Now, don't be looking for a perfect church because there's no such thing. Our church isn't perfect, and neither is any other church because the church is made up of flawed human beings like you and me. And so we kind of ruin it and keep it from being perfect in that sense. But make a commitment to go to church uh, each and every week. Another thing that I think we need to do to have a good year, and I've put it on my list, is number six. Make a commitment to honor God financially this year. Make a commitment to honor God financially this year. In other words, money is a very important part of all of our lives. We have to have money to live, have to have money to eat have to have money to uh, have a place to live, whether we're paying a mortgage, whether we're renting an apartment or whatever. We just have all kinds of expenses, kids' education and insurance, and they're just, the, the list is almost endless of, of where our money goes. But did you know the most important thing you can do with your money is to give the first 10% of it to God? The Bible calls that tithing, and the word tithe is from a Hebrew word that literally means tenth. And so here's what the Scripture teaches. If you make $100 a week, you should tithe the first $10 of that to God in His church when you go on Sunday. You just just write a check for $10 to whatever church you're a member of, and that's your tithe uh, for that week. If you make $1,000 a week, you should write a check to your church for $100. If you make $10,000 a week, uh, that's a lot of money. But you should tithe $1,000 of that uh, to the church on Sunday. In Malachi chapter 3, let me find this verse. It's the last book in the Old Testament. And it's one of the best verses in the Bible about tithing. And in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10, God is speaking. And God says this, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room even enough to receive it. And so God has made us a promise that if we will give him the tithe, the first 10% of however much money we make, God says, I'm going to open the windows of heaven and I'm going to pour out such blessings on you that you won't even be able to receive these blessings. I know there's some people who say, I just can't afford to tithe. Friend, the truth is you can't afford not to tithe because when you refuse to tithe, what you're doing is you're just closing up the window of heaven and you're preventing yourself from receiving all the blessings that God has for you. What God is saying is if you will tithe, you will be better off with 90% of the money and his blessing on your life than you would be with 100% of the money doing it on your own. And so I just encourage you to tithe. If you don't think you can, I'm not asking you to take my word. I'm asking you to take God's word. God says, test me now, try me now in this. It's the only place in the Bible that I'm aware of where God says, you test me. Everywhere else in the Bible, God is testing us with circumstances and challenging things in life. He's testing us and growing our faith. But when it comes to tithing, God says, I want you to test me. If you'll give the tithe, I'm going to open the windows of heaven. I'm going to bless you in an amazing way. So if you've never done it, I encourage you to start tithing to your local church. If you've tithed for years, I just encourage you to keep doing it and God will certainly bless you. And then the seventh thing that I've put on my list of how to have a good year and how to begin the year the right way make your number 1 priority this year to know Jesus Christ better make that make knowing Jesus the number 1 goal of your life you know goals are interesting things and in the beginning of a year we're all setting goals to lose weight or to exercise more or if you're in the business world to make this amount of money this number of sales those goals are fine, and those are important. But the most important goal that you could ever have in life is to know God, not to be successful by the world standards, but to be successful by God's standards. And how how is a person successful by God's standard? By knowing God, by having a relationship with Him that is genuine and meaningful and rewarding and satisfying and by being in the middle of God's will for your life. I love the verse in the book of Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 where the apostle Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. He was saying, I want to know Christ better. I want to know him more personally and more intimately. Now, when Paul said that, he had already been a Christian for about 30 years, so it wasn't like he didn't already know God. He did know him. But what he was saying is, the desire of my heart is to know God better. I can remember when I first graduated from seminary and came to be on the staff at First Baptist Church in Pasadena with my dad, who was the pastor, the senior pastor then, and he's still the senior pastor now. And, and I came to work on his staff, and we've been together for well over 20 years now. And I was talking one day to a businessman, and he said to me, now at this time I'm, I was about 25 years of age, and he said, John, what are your goals in life? What are your goals in ministry? And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, where do you see yourself? Do you think you'll always be a student pastor? At that time I was a student minister, a student pastor, and he said, you're going to do this forever? Or do you think one day you'll go pastor your own church? Or how long do you think you'll be in Pasadena? Or what? He was just saying... What, what kind of goals do you have? And I don't really remember what I said to that man that day, but it got me to thinking. And I thought about that and have thought about that many times since. And to be honest with you, my goal, I have no goals as far as a position or as far as uh, anything like that. I think there are a lot of people who go into the ministry and 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 i hope this isn't true but I, I i let me let me let me say this a different way i'm afraid there are a lot of men who become pastors and church staff members and they have a goal to pastor a church of this particular size maybe it has a 1000 a people coming or 2000 people coming or 10000 people coming and or maybe they have a goal to 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 hold this position or to hold this office and you know, I just think we have to be very careful when it comes to something like that because if if we're not careful and if we really think about it those goals are just really fleshly and they're they're kind of prideful and to be honest with you they're they're a little bit selfish and so I don't think as a minister you should ever have a goal to pastor a church of a particular size as though the size of a church even is that it I don't even think it matters to God. I mean to God, I don't even think there's any such thing as a big church. I mean, think about this. God created the whole world. He made, I mean, he made everything. And so I don't think God would ever look down and see a church and say, Wow, now that's a big crowd. That's a lot of people there. I mean, there's no such thing as a big church to God. And so maybe maybe you're a pastor. Maybe the reason I'm saying this today, maybe you're out serving some small rural church. And maybe you're running about twenty or twenty-five or thirty people out there, and you're just thinking, "Well, what I'm doing's not important, and I'm not even successful." Success has nothing to do with the size of your church. It has success has everything to do with being in the center of God's will. I have a friend that I went to seminary with. He lives in Georgia, and. Uh, down in, Out in rural Georgia is where he lives, and he pastors a, a small country church there. I don't know how many they have coming to the church. I would think less than 100 people. They may have more than that, but I would think around 100 people. I have another friend who pastors the largest church in North America. Now, you tell me, which one of those two men is the most successful? Well, I'll answer that question. They're both equally successful because both of those men are in the center of God's will for their lives. In other words, the man who pastors the largest church in North America, he's not any more successful in God's eyes than my friend pastoring a small country church in rural Georgia. They are both doing exactly what God wants them to do. Both of these men love God. They're both wonderful Christians. I look up to both of them, actually. And yet, what makes them successful Is not the size of their churches. What makes them successful is that they love God and that they are both in the center of His will for their lives. And so as we begin the new year, what do we want to do? We want to make knowing God better, more intimately, more personally. Knowing Him, that has to be the primary goal, not how successful we are in the world's eyes or how big our church is or if you're in the business world how much money you make that that's not success I mean I guess that could be a form of success but that's not ultimate success ultimate success is being in God's will for your life and so the seven things if I could just say this by way of review that we have to do to begin the new year the right way number one let the past be the past number two learn to view problems as opportunities Number three, try to live a healthy, balanced life. Number four, make a commitment to have a quiet time with God each day. Number five, make a commitment to go to church regularly this year, every Sunday. Number six, make a commitment to honor God with your finances. Number seven, make your number one priority in life, your ultimate goal, to know Jesus Christ better than you ever have and today if you're listening to this and you say you know John the truth is I'm not sure that I know God at all I don't even know if I have a relationship with Jesus well why don't we deal with that today and get that taken care of the Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved so today if you'll reach out in prayer asking Jesus to save you and forgive you he will do it and today can be the day of your salvation just repeat this prayer say it from your heart to God's heart just say Lord Jesus Jesus I want to know you personally, not from a distance, but I want to know you personally. Would you please come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian? I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. Welcome to my heart, Jesus. Begin now to make me the person you want me to be. Is my prayer in your name. Amen. And friend, if you have prayed that prayer, God heard your prayer, God has answered your prayer, Jesus Christ in the person of His Holy Spirit has come to live in your heart. I pray for everyone listening today that you'll take these things we've talked about, apply them to your lives, and I'm praying you're going to have the best year you've ever had. Peace by Believing is an extension of the ministry of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. If you would like more information on how you can have peace with God, go to our website, peacebybelieving.org, and click on the Spiritual Growth tab. If you've received God's peace today by trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at peacebybelieving.org. Thank you for listening today, and we pray that you have a blessed week.